0: Great. Thanks well, so hey, much. Julie, we got Monique right here. Why don't you just start asking her your questions?
1: So in raising capital and helping those people have that gateway to get in, there's a lot of chatter about building a platform and you have built a fantastic platform. It brings so many amazing women together. What's the most significant way that you have raised capital?
2: Though so I, I highly believe in putting value out and then attracting people to you. It's a lot easier to attract versus going after it, dialing for dollars. So when you create a platform, it's kind of like you are the honey and then like the bees come to you.
0: Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey, with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high-yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 40 and an episode you don't want to miss. On today's show, we have experienced investor Monique Hahn and aspiring investor Julie Hawley. And in this episode, we talk about building a platform and facing your fears. And now, the show. Welcome to the Diary of an Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. I'm very excited for today's show. It's one of our Ask the Expert episodes, and we have two amazing women on the line with us right now, one with a ton of experience in this and other businesses, Monique Hahn, and a very motivated and energetic aspiring investor, Julie Hawley. So Monique is the founder of Real Estate Investor Goddesses. She's an educator, and advocate for female real estate investors, and has a mission to help 1 million women achieve financial freedom through real estate. Monique herself is a real estate investor and a syndicator and owns, together with her investors, 1,300 rental doors across seven states. She's also a number one bestselling author, podcast host, real estate strategy mentor, wife, and mother of three amazing kids. So that said, Monique, very impressive. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Brian.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. Julie, also welcome to the show and I love having you too. I've really looked forward to this episode, I think, with more gusto than than any other episode so far. So Monique, would you do us a favor and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your history up until you said, I want to do this apartment thing.
2: Sure. So I never growing up, never would have considered apartments. never thought of real estate investing. My parents, I'm a first generation American. I mm-hmm. have great parents, very supportive, always told me I could be anything I wanted to be in parentheses, as long as I was a doctor, lawyer, professor, engineer. <laughs> yeah. Was,
0: yeah. Just, yeah. As long as you're one of those things. Sure. As
2: long as you're one of those four things, you could be anything you want. Yeah. Well, I mean, for them, that was what success was. You, you go to college and then graduate school and you get a big job and You work for 40 years, you get a gold watch, you retire, play golf, you die. And that's success. And um, of those choices, I chose law and I became a lawyer and was working in a big law firm partnership track. I was miserable, but that's a different story for a different podcast. Uh, With regards to real estate, the only thing I'd ever been taught was to buy your own home. Mm -hmm. So I went to do that. And this was in 2005 in LA, where I live, towards the top of the last bubble. And for those, you know, you're right, you're in DC, so you understand mm-hmm. kind of higher prices. But oh, yeah. for a lot of people in other markets, they don't understand how you could have a six-figure salary and not and have a hard time being able to buy a house. But in LA, starter homes in a semi-decent neighborhood at that time were in the $600,000, dollars
1: 800000
2: range. Yeah. And I couldn't do that by myself. So, a friend of mine who was a similar boat, suggests we buy a duplex together. The original idea we'd buy a property with two equal sides. And instead of finding that, we ended up finding this beautiful old craftsman that had a larger, one larger unit, and then a two bedroom up upstairs, and then a converted garage that was another one bedroom in the back. And we bought that. Each took a bedroom in the larger unit. We rented out the upstairs. We rented mm-hmm. out the back house. We even rented out our basement. And we started house hacking before mm-hmm. I knew that was a thing. It was just like, wow, these people are paying our mortgage. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. So you you <laughs> invented house hacking. Apparently. I, yeah. I
2: did. Yes, so absolutely. you're welcome, you yeah. house hackers out there. there no, I don't know. <laughs> I just I was a, a very lucky accident. So I I became an accidental landlord. Then when I met my husband he had a duplex and then we got a single family rental. After the market crashed, we sold one of the duplexes and we started flipping. And that was what I thought investing was because of HGTV shows. That looks fun. Let's do that.
0: Yeah. It was all over every network too. They had like seven different flipping shows, you know? I know. And
2: I I thought that's what, that's how you invested. Yeah. Look in your, in your area and you'd find homes and you'd, buy them, pick them up and sell them. So we started doing that when houses were on sale. By 2015, they were not so on sale. Mm -hmm. And it was really competitive here in LA. And it was flipping was this job that when you were done, you have to start over again. Mm -hmm. And I wanted something more passive. So I was looking for a fourplex, which at the time was the biggest thing I could imagine doing. And I was looking around and in LA, there's nothing that cash flows, nothing that makes financial sense. And I was speaking to a friend about this, really frustrated because the flipping was really getting very competitive. It's hard to make that. Those numbers make sense. And then the I was looking for a fourplex. Couldn't make that make sense. And so my friend, Kyle Wilson, he says, you know, my friend, Robert Helms, who's the host of the Real Estate Guys radio podcast, he says he's coming to LA tomorrow. You should come meet him. He hosts this big podcast. He's done hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate. He, he will probably give you some advice once you come on out tomorrow for dinner. I was like, sure. So um, I remember that was October 15th. I went out and I met them. And Robert was asking what's up to. He was talking about the flipping, telling him about looking for this fourplex and not being able to find anything that cash flowed. And he said two things that set me on this path (laughs) and that changed my life. So the first thing he said was, you know, LA is a tough market. I always say, live where you want to live, invest where the numbers make sense. And I went- It's good advice. Oh, it's great advice, but I'd never thought of that. And it's so obvious after you hear it. But until he said that, I always assumed you had to invest where you Mm -hmm. live, where you could drive to your property, touch it, self-manage it. Mm -hmm. It just didn't occur to me that that was possible. So literally that opened up the world. And you know, when you leave a market like Los Angeles, there's a lot more opportunity yes. out there that, where yes. numbers make sense. Cash
0: flows outside yeah, of I know. Los Angeles.
2: Imagine so. can you Yeah. Like that's now, crazy. Were you still
0: Thank working you. as an attorney at this point?
2: I I had stopped working as an attorney okay. around two thousand nine. Right. That's a whole other story. So I was flipping yeah. and then I was coaching. Okay. Um, I actually became an abundance coach for women. So I was working with women around money. And so the next thing that Robert told me was that I could get this fourplex by myself. He said, he said, you can get this fourplex, but you're limited to your own capital and credit. He said, alternatively, you could bring a group of investors together and you could get a 100 or 200 unit apartment building. And that blew my mind. I was yeah. What? Like, that's a thing. You can do that. I literally thought you needed to be a billionaire to do that. I'd never, never occurred to me that that was a possibility. So I decided right then and there, Oh, I want to do that. <laughs> and I want to be around people who think that's normal because mm-hmm. up until then, everyone around me thought a four was a big deal. And so that was October, 2015 in January, 2016, Robert Helms, his partner, Russell Gray, we're doing a syndication seminar. I went home that night, signed up, and in January in Phoenix, we were at that seminar, and I was like, this, this is it. This yeah, is what hooked. I want to do.
1: Yeah. I was
2: hooked. Hook, hook, line, and sinker. I was oh. in. And so we, we joined their mastermind. And then I met Brad Simrock there. And we became personal mentoring students of his. And and then we, we were off to the races. So that year, we, well we, we were also syndicating we've always syndicated other asset classes as well. So our first syndication was actually a, a mobile home park. And then we passively invested into multifamily deals, and then we got two multifamily deals of our own that year as well. So oh. that we syndicated.
0: So, so, your first year, mobile home park, passive investments, and then two syndications on apartments. You're number one. Yeah. Busy, yeah. busy year. Over
2: 1,000 wow. units.
0: Hit in, the ground running, too. In one,
2: in one year. Yeah. You say,
0: you say 2016, too, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and I'm, I imagine there's been a lot of cap rate compression, a lot of appreciation in those assets since. So, yeah you know, so it's a great we, time.
2: We've sold uh, pretty much all of that. Mm-hmm. We went full cycle, all of it, except for we still have the mobile home park. hmm and yeah, so we've done. Nice. on more in different things.
0: Good, good. So let, yeah. me, let me ask you a real quick question. What's your motivation or your big burning why for this?
2: So there are a couple of things. I mean, when I first uh, on, on the more selfish side mm-hmm. of it, when I when I first found out, it's like, and I wasn't limited to my own capital and credit. So at this you were asking me, was I still working as a lawyer? I yeah. was not. So I was not a W-2 anymore. Mm-hmm. And neither was my husband. He had a graphic design business. So we're both self-employed. Mm-hmm. And any of you out there trying to get conventional lending when you're not a W-2 it is hard. Yeah. It's not easy. So we we were having a hard time just being able to refinance our home. And it's like, we're, and a lot of the, the deals we're doing, we were buying them in cash. So it's like, we can buy this in cash, but you won't, like we have the cash to so buy it outright, and you won't let us like finance yeah. us. Like what? Um, so because they, they looked at your income and our yeah. income, because way real estate works is low, and mm-hmm. because having a business works is low. So yeah. we had very little income to show. Great credit, lot cash,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. worth, no a lot of
2: cash, net worth, no income.
0: Lot money in the bank, cash flow, just not not that income line that they like to see. That's crazy.
2: Exactly. So on the when they're looking at your your tax form shows very little. I mean, yeah. we were, you know, we could qualify for welfare on our taxes but, yeah. but like but we had, you know. Yeah. So when I found out what commercial loans could do, right? So I could get very easily like large commercial loans and we were able to access that type of financing, but on these smaller ones, we were we were limited. So when I realized I wasn't limited to my own capital and credit, that's what really got me excited mm-hmm. nice. and got me into it for the in the first place. Okay. And then being able to share this opportunity with other people. Mm-hmm. One of the the things that I, w- I was telling you that I was already working with women around money and abundance. And when I went to that first syndication seminar, I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is really how wealth is created. Like this Mm -hmm. is how you build wealth. And this is so perfect for women, but there are no women in this room. Mm -hmm. There were none. I mean, there were 120 people. There were maybe eight of us Two were working in the back. (laughs) And there's so few women here there are none on stage, none, like very few in the audience. And I went, women need to be here. Women yeah. need to know about this. And so I went and I started Googling, like, what was there for women in real estate? And there was, I found something called Crew, the Commercial Real Estate Women. And I went mm-hmm. to a, a meet and I was like, great. And everyone there was, like, serv- there, was a, there were brokers, there was mm-hmm. interior designers, there were leasing agents. So I was the only investor mm-hmm. in the room. They're like 40 women. I'm the only one that... And they're like, you're an investor? You actually buy this stuff?
0: I was like, yeah, yeah.
2: Like, like, yeah I invest. Okay, I and they're like, ooh, really? That's amazing. But they they help men invest. Mm-hmm. But none of those women were investing. Yeah. And, and I just... I, I was on the elliptical after that conference at the gym and I was just processing. And it came to me as this divine download to start Mm. real estate investor classes, to bring women into this room and, and to get them there. So that's my, my big why that drives me. And so with the apartment investing, so I, I teach women how to do real estate and I'm, I'm agnostic in terms of the how they do it, the mm-hmm. asset class and, and strategy, but I also love having passive investing opportunities for women, where they can they can get into this game even as busy professional women. Yeah. And we, you know, at the beginning, maybe ninety percent of our investors were men, and now 95 percent are women, which yeah. makes me really happy.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, and I I saw the same thing. The first real estate investing conference I went to, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. The people handing out the name tags were women, you know. <laughs> and you it. look around the room, and you know, you get it, people coming on stage. I remember one woman in the first investing conference I went that was on stage the whole time, and she was on a panel with five other guys. You know, and it was it was a three day conference. I think you hit the nail on the head. There, there's just not a lot of women in this business, and yet. Yeah. Yet. And it's happening. I have
2: anything to do with it. It's happening,
0: you know? So, and you know, I'm, (laughs) I'm throwing my voice in with yours. So just uh, trying to push the awareness out a little bit more, you know, make, make sure I think women know that it's possible for them to do this. So, and by the way, I have four daughters, so I, I definitely want them to be able to do whatever they want to without any, any constraints or restraints placed upon them because of their gender. So I think it's great what you're doing. I love your goal, your mission to help 1 million women achieve financial freedom. I think that's awesome. So let's shift gears a little bit here and maybe it won't be such a gear shift. Uh, Tell me about maybe one of the investment deals that you've done or your investment criteria, something like that.
2: Sure. So... I can tell you what's helped me shift it. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, well, what didn't go well? Well, I'll tell you about the first multifamily deals I did in that first year. And I, I kind of, they came together. So we got, we found two properties in Albuquerque, New Mexico mm-hmm. around the, the same time. So it's two separate sellers, but we found that we found them at the same time. They were, fairly close together. Mm-hmm. One was 55 units, sorry, 51 units. It was mostly mostly townhouses with a, a block of one bedroom apartments, and then there was another 77 unit building. And we bought we bought them at the same time, and we're managing them together. So, so it's like 128 units. Mm-hmm. And so those, especially one of them, was in this area that looked to be up and coming and gentrifying there was a new there was a new Starbucks that had mm-hmm. gone in across the street a new Planet Fitness and there was a hospital and it looked like okay th- there's there's a lot going on and and then there was another building that looked like it had it had rehabbed and was doing well with our with the business model we had so we thought okay this is great we're coming in on the ground floor but that area was in what had what was called the war zone <laughs> of, mm. of uh, Albuquerque. Yeah. So just FYI, people do not buy in war zones. <laughs> so yeah. was, um There was a reason it was called the war zone. And uh even though there was, we saw these signs that things were changing, that we had shootings at that property. Mm. We had fires at that property. We had guns pulled on our property managers. We had like, uh, squatters that left mm-hmm. hypodermic needles I mean it was just it was
0: one of those places it
2: was one of those places, yeah. of those places. And so you're just, like praying were, it doesn't end up on the news kind of you
0: place. were a slum lord huh Look I was that. not a
2: slum lord yeah. we spent a lot to fix it <laughs> yeah. up and then it just was really tough and you know and, and then we'd go and people were like oh I'm so you know and some of the yeah. things we we did like they're like, I'm oh, so grateful now our kids can play outside or, but then, you know, other people would kind of like, we'd put, smell a lot of money and put in security gates and they'd leave the gate open and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Like, I was like, like why, on, why? Yeah. Like, are you doing this? They're like, we put this security gate so we could keep, you know, you all mm-hmm. more secure and you're just sticking a rock on there so that it doesn't close and anyone can come in. So it was really, really tough. And yeah. after having that experience, I Realize that for me, what makes most sense is to be in B class, ideally in like A class neighborhoods yeah. or B B plus, and there's just a lot less drama.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, there, there's yeah. there, there's a lot to be said by that. I mean, B class pricing, B class amenities is is going to attract the better tenant. So yeah. there's. Uh, a little less worry about that type of stuff. You're not typically going to have the shootings in B-class assets, or hopefully not the drug use or anything else. But yeah, so so you're into B-class assets right now. Now was that the last kind of C minus? I mean, most most brokers would call that a C minus, whether or not it's a yeah, D we, or not. You know,
2: it was it was a C minus, and we yeah we got some we got a single family portfolio of C. Mm-hmm. As well, I thought okay. Well, single family might not have quite the drama, but mm-hmm. that's been really tough in COVID. Yeah. You know, a lot of those tenants have taken eviction moratorium to mean rent moratorium. Yes, and so that those have been properties that's just been harder to cash flow, and you know, it's just again more drama. Whereas our B class. B plus class, the collections dropped a little bit, but not that much. It was like from 90, we were like a 96%. Now we're like 94, 94, 93. So it's like, it's not as great as we want it, but it's, it's fine. All right. It hasn't been too bad.
0: You may not hit your projections, but you're still giving investor returns. You know, I mean, you're still profitable. We're still,
2: we're on track. We're we're actually on track with our projections. We wanted to beat projections, but we're Mm -hmm. on track.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. a good place to be a yeah. place to be after six months of COVID on track right now. So yeah. good for you guys. Now real quick question. What's, what's next for you what's next for, for your business?
1: Yeah.
2: So one of the things that I'm in the process of doing right now is putting together a reg a plus fund mm-hmm. um, called the goddess fund. That is, I want to democratize investing more. Mm-hmm. I know there are lots of women that can afford a 50000 minimum investment, but there yeah. are a lot more that can't. So I'm working on this fund that would have a $1,000 minimum investment, and that would be geared towards female investors. Men would be welcome to invest as well, but we'd focus on educating and reaching out to female investors. And the fund would be investing in majority female-run real mm-hmm. estate projects. So I'm um, so really focusing on female operators and and targeting female investors. And, yeah. and so that's the next thing.
0: Yeah, I love it. I mean, and Julie and I had a conversation like this about a year ago, where, where she said something along the same lines where she wanted to open up syndications to people who couldn't quite meet that $50,000 minimum. And maybe we'll talk about that a little more later. But you know, I think that's a wonderful thing that there's a lot of people that just that, that $50,000 minimum that most indicators throw out there are a lot of people that just, just can't quite reach that point. You know, it's nice to be able to allow them to also invest and gain the same same returns as as everybody else. Yeah. So well good, good. So you're setting that up or it's set up already?
2: It's it's in the process of being set up. So it has, it requires SEC approvals and
0: yeah, yep. Yeah, yep yeah. well, A whole a whole laundry list. Every time you get the SEC or involved, you got the layers of bureaucracy. They're gonna, mm-hmm. you know, muck things up. So, and that's from a guy who works at the Pentagon. Biggest <laughs> bureaucracy in the world. So. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit again. And now we're going to introduce Julie Holly to the show. Julie is host of the Ask Me How I Know podcast. She's an educator and a teacher. She's a passive investor and the co-founder and capital raiser for Three Keys Investment. So Julie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. You know you know how important this is to me being on the, this episode because the two of you have played such a profound role in my evolution as an investor. So this is like dream come true. Thank you guys for the opportunity.
0: You know, ever since I started this, I was thinking I need to bring Julie Holly on and I was waiting for what I thought was a perfect opportunity and bam, here it is. So tell us a little bit about yourself then. Give us a little bit about your background and your history up to the point where you decided to invest in apartments.
1: Sure. Well, I was born and raised in residential real estate and not the investing side of it, but mm-hmm. my dad was a sales agent for residential real estate. So my mm-hmm. entire life, I was toted around, uh, you know, sliding around on the back seat because you didn't have to wear seatbelts back then. Totally dating myself.
2: Yep. <laughs> and
1: so we'd be sliding around on the back seat, carbon copy contracts mm-hmm. that were like 10 pages thick. And mm-hmm. that was like, that was early California days. Can't imagine yeah. them now. But um, But all that to say, I'd been around real estate and I was being around my dad. He was always evolving as a person and he didn't hold himself back. And so I had that constant influence in my life, which was really great. And then I had that influence of him demonstrating by how he did things as he was a top performing agent, Mm -hmm. um, sales agent in our area. And that was always put your client's needs first and the money will follow. And so just that level of customer care. And I look, I realize now the role that that played in my own personal journey so while Dad was a real estate agent, Mom's a teacher, and I'm the only girl of three older brothers, so I was kind of like split. Like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, overachiever, both. I graduated college. Yeah, exactly. Do both yeah, things. Both. <laughs> follow Mom, follow Dad. Just do yeah. both, and everybody's happy. <laughs> so yeah. I was an overachiever and graduated college early and started teaching in the public school at 22. And a few years after that, I found myself thinking like, I'm holding myself back because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if I go into real estate and I follow dad, that I'm going to be on the same roller coaster. He was not a good businessman. I love it. Loved him to death. Still love him. But, uh, you know, that wasn't his strength. And so it was feast or famine type Mm -hmm. living. And I didn't want that in my life. But I also didn't want fear to stop me from chasing after something. And so what I did was I said, I'm going to go for it. So I got my real estate license and I went into real estate. And guess what? I kicked butt, it went really well. And it was awesome. But what happened was, I was also this teacher girl at heart. And people are not really very nice or ethical in that particular real estate niche. And so I, I was jaded, I, I couldn't believe the things that I saw were happening. And just by nature of who I am, it's kind of what like, I, I would say something, I'd be like, wait, how what? You, that's breaking the law. Like you can't do that. And so I I didn't really like playing that role at all. And I went back to education, but my husband and I decided that we wanted to have a rental portfolio. And by nature of some experiences in early adulthood, I really have a heart towards women just like you, Monique, especially women who have experienced maybe some hardships and, you know, some domestic situations that are devastating. And so sometimes people need an opportunity for someone to believe in them. Sometimes people need an opportunity to get their feet back on the ground and they want to turn their life around. But finding a rental when you're trying to have, you know, turn things around can sometimes be challenging. My husband and I shared the same heart of, why don't we do a win-win? If we start purchasing rentals, single family rentals, then we can help people that are caught in the margins who want a better life. And we can also be building this little passive portfolio for our our future retirement. So going down that path, it was working out really well. And I managed our few assets. We didn't have a whole conglomerate. So I don't want to paint any false pictures, but it was really fun. I was able to manage. I was living at different points in California or Colorado, and able to manage the properties from long distance, which was like this huge, like aha. And it's really funny because I was placing a tenant while we moved back to California, and I'm placing a tenant into our property we had in Denver, Colorado. And the phone rings as we're driving to this little remote town in California. We're driving to Turlock and it comes up with that number like, oh, Turlock, California. Oh, maybe our friends are calling us from a different number. We're going over to their house for dinner. Turns out it's this guy that wants to rent our place over in Colorado. (laughs) So it's really fun. Um, And so it was really effective. So it was really great to get that side of property management and rehabbing properties and experiencing that. But like most people realize scalability (laughs) And you just reach this point where you're like, maybe I don't want to manage assets. Maybe I just don't want that question mark in Mm -hmm. my head of, okay, how's this tenant doing? How's this asset doing? I didn't want to have to manage that. My husband and I truly wanted some passive income. And so we put that on pause and we said, well, actually he just said, Let's just pause for a bit, and I kept asking him, "Can we invest again? Can, can we start investing? Can we start investing? Can come on! I'm I'm just getting bored over here. <laughs> I like think I need to invest. I have too much energy, as any, as anyone who knows me knows. Like I have too much energy. I have to have like okay. I could be teaching, but I got to be doing something else also. <laughs> so right, right. so he finally gave me the green light. He's like, "Okay, I'm I'm ready. Go for it, honey." And that is when. I met Monique through Bigger Pockets. Like, you didn't know we met. <laughs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> so, similar to you, Monique, like, as you were telling your story, it was funny because I'm like, oh my gosh, so many crossovers. So, I was driving to the gym at Odark 30 and I was lamenting that I've been listening to Bigger Pockets, and podcasts were a game changer because. Now that there are all these podcasts, you can learn so much so quickly, or at least get exposure, right? And so, listening to Bigger Pockets, and literally was lamenting the day before, I really like Bigger Pockets. I really like it. It's so much fun, and I'm learning a ton. But I haven't heard a woman on there yet. And so, here I am at like five in the morning driving to the gym in December of 2019. And here comes Monique's effervescent, like super fun, savvy voice coming through, telling her story. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my goodness. And that kind of like you, Monique and Robert um, Helms is like, that was my boom, aha moment of, wait a second. You said this magical word called syndication and you started explaining it. And at that exact moment, it was this. All of my life came into into uh, it. Just all had meaning. It was like your teaching career has meaning and substance. You can use that to teach and educate people. Your experience growing up in real estate gives you a different understanding on what's taking place on a lot of different levels. A different asset class, different commercial is different than residential. But you still have this ground level understanding that will help you out. And I have a background in writing as well, and so just being able to create content of value and write efficiently so like all of this my heart to help everybody everything just came together when i heard you say syndication I swear I was smiling in my car. I probably had the best workout ever <laughs> Got on the phone to my husband. I could not stop talking about syndication. And from that moment on, Steve, we're
0: going to syndicate. We're going to syndicate. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. He's like, was, what's a
0: syndication?
1: <laughs> oh gosh. And then I kept trying to explain it to him. I'm like, okay, so it's this. And I was probably just too excited about the whole process. And so through that pursuit, that's how I was. I met Brian, which Mm -hmm. you've been absolutely instrumental in helping my journey and also went to a real estate guy syndication seminar. And that's where Steve got it. And then that was like the aha moment. He's like, ah. I get what you're about, honey. He was, he was letting me chase after it. He's like that. He won't hold me back. (laughs) But it it was really nice for him to really understand what was happening in my life and, and why I was so excited to chase after this and what it could do, not just for our family, but for so many other people. It was just an absolute dream come true. Well,
0: good, good. That's amazing. And, and, I didn't know that, you know, Monique was your aha moment when I put this together, but uh, you know, I get I guess, you know, fortune. <laughs> I didn't you know. know yeah. <laughs> wow. That is so awesome. Yeah. So, that's
1: yeah. So cool. that's yeah. why I've been so excited. I actually showed Brian and I don't know if this will get edited out, but I'm like, Brian, I brought tissue to this because I'm like, <laughs> I might just like get all emotional. I'm not <laughs> sure this is so significant because the two of you have played such a important role in our investor oh. journey. I mean, Brian with Four Oaks, I mean, all of you guys just taking time to talk with us to help educate Mm -hmm. us and then just to grow a friendship is just to be able to call you up and say, hey, what about this? It's you know, those type of things are really important. And Monique through goddesses, like just being able to have that spot for women, it's so important. And what you're doing and offering in virtual summits. And I gained so much through a virtual summit, I think it was in April, the last one I went to, was absolutely profound. So. wow wow
0: well, great Thanks well so hey much. Julie we got Monique right here why don't you just start asking her your questions here we go I
1: know are we ready yeah. for a drum roll <laughs> 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 okay. Monique, let's get, yeah. hold on let's get really serious you guys okay
2: <clears throat> my <Regarding>, serious pose
1: <laughs> I know exactly everybody put the serious face on okay Monique lightning round okay regarding raising capital that's been a huge part of what you've done in the past. It's something mm-hmm. I'm passionate about. And I, I'm going to just add an aside why one of my whys is like your wise to help women. And a huge why of mine is being a teacher from California. They are most teachers don't realize the deficit, the teacher Refi- retirement fund is in. It is in mm-hmm. like double digit, I think 72 billion, yes, capital B billion in the red and all of these people that I love who have the most ginormous hearts and are serving their communities and helping teach the next generation, like, what's going to happen? You know, like, that's not a good situation for the future. And so I had this huge why of how can I create, like, you want to create this fund for women, like creating a fund to help people like that get involved in something to at least diversify our service people. It's not just teachers, but service people in general. <laughs> so yeah. So in raising capital and helping those people have that gateway to get in, there's a lot of chatter about building a platform and you have built a fantastic platform. It's fun. It's educational. It's informative. And it brings so many amazing women together. What's the most significant way that you have raised capital and what changes do you see? As, so you're going to start a fund, but what other changes do you see along your journey in, regarding raising capital?
2: Yeah, well, let let me break that up first. Talk about know. the platform and creating that platform. I I do believe that really will help in, in terms of raising capital. It's a lot easier to attract versus going after it, dialing for dollars. So when you raise a when you create a platform and you put yourself out there, and it, it's kind of like you are. You are the honey and then like the bees come to you, right? Um, it's a lot easier that way than to go after and chase it. So though so I, I highly believe in putting value out and then attracting people to you. That's the main way that I have created my list of investors. And every day, all the time, there are different people signing up to be on the list and they they find me on my my website, they like, go reigosses.com, there's an investor club, they fill out the questionnaire and it leads to a phone conversation and there are different things driving or inviting people to that. My podcast, being a guest on other people's podcasts, social media, and just there's a lot of things that will blog posts, different things, different content, different ways people find it, find out about it. And then they they are attracted. They go, Oh, I want to know more. I want to get in on this, these opportunities. And then, so they they come in. And so it really makes it a lot, a lot easier. I was pretty astounded. We just did a deal last week that we put out an email. And I was like, I remember hearing about people having this problem because it can be a bit of a problem. <laughs> and I was like, wow, we put out an email and four hours later, we were like 175%. Um, oh,
1: wow. Uh, like more oh, than oversubscribed. It, yeah.
2: It was very oversubscribed <laughs> like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's gotten to that point where it goes that quickly. And so now raising capital is quite easy or a lot easier, but it's, it's from having built that platform and creating that, that groundwork. Uh, when it, when the God is opens and it's at a thousand dollars a person that's going that's a whole other level of scale mm-hmm. because you know 51,000 to 150 where that's a lot more people that will have to will be attracting and it's a it's a, a that'll be a, a a whole a different level but for right now what this is doing is is really helping to to build that platform so I 100% think that that's the way to go, and you're doing it. You have your podcast, and and you're you're putting out content, and you're showing up, and you're yeah. on you're guesting on other people's podcasts too, and so you're doing it exactly right, Julie. Yeah.
1: Wow. Wow, thank you. <laughs> what, you know, one of the reasons that I do what I do is, uh, and I say this because I think a lot of people listening, they want to take these next steps. They want to do what a lot of us are doing in creating content, but they let fear stop them. And every time I get to that point where uh, there's, a, there's a video I need to put out and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to put it out. And, but I always think about what about who, what's my why? Who am I trying to reach? are they worth it? If I can help reach them, is that worth it? So I like stopped making it so much about like me. As soon as I get myself out of the way, then I'm like, okay, I can do this. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) I can go on this podcast.
0: You told me after you did, I mean, we met because of a Facebook video you did, you know, and you told me afterwards that you you recorded (laughs) it like 20 times. Like, should I post it? Should I post it? Should I post it? But you got to get past that fear. And I've, I've found a lot of times me having to push through my own fears as well. I think everybody has to do it. He's yeah, got to push.
1: What yeah. fears? This this wasn't on my list of formal questions, but what question? What fears have you overcome, Monique, to get to where you are? Oh my gosh, so many. Uh, She's you human. Know,
2: yeah. <laughs> I'm a natural <laughs> introvert, mm-hmm. right? So if I were left to my own devices, I would be in a corner reading a book. That's that's what I love to do. And I'd be just like, where is Monique? Oh, there she is in that corner with her nose in a book. And I was like, that's what I would do. But I have felt this bigger calling. But I also, as a, I don't remember why, I, I was kind of, I was definitely in, a nerdy kid and I always reading. And, but one of the things that I really got, and I loved I've never seen Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and and he had this quote about the only thing to fear is fear itself, mm-hmm. and I took that really to heart. And whenever I found something that scared me, i I would do it. I tried to do things that would scare me, and. And and unless it was like obviously would kill me, like I wouldn't jump off a cliff. Like, yeah, that's scary. Let's do something. Unless it was like (laughs) like heroin. Let's do heroin. That's scary. And I mean, (laughs) like, unless it was, um, I thought like this would this was really stupid. It would definitely kill me. I did it. So I have a practice of really exercising my fear muscles and courage muscles, and I've found that everything I want is on the other side of my fear. So there's, so there are things that scare me all the time, but I'm so comfortable with that, that I like, I'm like, bring it, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are scary. I just did a, just had a three day virtual event last weekend and it was like, oh my God, it was, it was just like just putting out there and it's like, are people going to show up for like eight hours a day of a virtual mm-hmm. event and doing all this stuff? And it was amazing. It was so great, but that was scary. And it, it would have been very easy to be like, yeah, maybe not. And like, but I have this mission and I have this drive and because it's scary, I'm doing it. So
0: that so quote needs said. to be on my wall. Everything that yeah. I want is on the other side of fear. That's like the aha little moment for a lot of people right there. I'm, I'm going to put that on a plaque somewhere.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. And what
1: you say is so true about when you start overcoming those fears, the more you do it, the more practiced you are. And you have a positive experience on the other side. It changes things. Like me being afraid to put that little video out that took me like, it was thirty seconds, if that, you know, just like an introduction video. And but I met Brian because of it, you know. like, that's amazing. So you, the more you do that, just like you're saying, you have these great experiences on the other side, and you're like, wow, that was worth it. Wait, like you said, where's the fear? Come on, let's do this again. That that worked out really well. <laughs> I was scared of doing that Bigger Pockets
2: interview. I was like,
1: were mm-hmm. oh you really? People that listen to that. So oh, Bigger
2: Pockets is huge. It's huge. Wow. It, and I was like, "Bring it!"
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's scary. You're gonna have a million and look, people to see and, Yeah, and look, we wouldn't be here having this conversation yeah. right now if would I hadn't be, done that. Yeah. Would, and we wouldn't be, and I wouldn't be syndicating or. I mean, I don't even know how that would have started because you're like the little genesis moment of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, I have another question for you. Mm-hmm. i'm gonna get serious again <laughs> with the economic downturn in mind what challenges do you see coming for those seeking to raise capital and how should we adjust to right now are there any adjustments to start preparing for that
2: yeah mm-hmm. so okay i'm gonna break this down into two things so there's first is the terms of the deals and then the next in terms of raising capital. Okay. Actually, let me talk about the raising capital because I have not found that to be an impediment at all. In mm-hmm. fact, people are pretty freaked about the stock market. It's just, it's crazy. Time. And right. and people want their money in real assets, right? Mm-hmm. Assets that not make sense. Ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and things where it's like it, it you know, housing and is is an, an essential. <laughs> It's an essential need. Uh, I don't think everyone's going to decide they want to be homeless anytime soon. So the housing is going to be necessary. Uh, We've also been doing industrial. So there's still people manufacturing and and doing food distribution. And we interact with real estate all the time. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of people are going, Ooh, I'm scared of the stock market. I would, I would love to put my money into something that feels more steady and stable. So I think right at the beginning we we were doing a raise in March and we did one like right at the beginning of March and then we had another one at the beginning of April. So the April one was a little slower. People were wary, but as things got crazier with the markets and that they, they've just been it has not been harder <laughs> it's
1: been easier yeah. okay. to raise money a, a bit personally yeah. so do, uh, do you I, think it will get easy do you think it will stay that as i mean the stock market is jekyll and hyde it's like happy today and going up yeah, crazy and I, then i think it down. will so, i think it think- will
2: i think people want to diversify i don't think they want all of their eggs in the in the market and they're very happy to have investments like syndications these passive investments that give really good returns mm-hmm. and and just help help get out of the craziness of Wall Street onto Main Street. Yeah. So I, I, think I the, don't think that's a problem at all. The
0: more volatile the stock market is, the better it is for investments like, like we have, you know, just because people want to take their money out of the, vault, the volatile stock market and put it into assets. Unfortunately, we are coming up on the end of our time Oh. Uh, i know it's been an hour already That's so
1: wow. yeah Quick.
0: If, if i didn't have another commitment in five minutes i would keep it going <laughs> but, uh, um i would go as long as you you ladies wanted to talk but so i'm gonna ask one question for for each of you monique you go first how can people get to know more about you
2: sure the best place is probably to go to my website, mm-hmm. reigoddesses.com. or mm-hmm. also at REI Goddesses and all the social. So. Okay.
0: And we're going to put links in our uh, show notes for all the, the social media that you have. And I think that was on, I think you already sent that to me. So I think we're good. Julie, same question for you. How can people learn more about you?
1: I love to connect directly with people. So find me over on Facebook or LinkedIn. It's really easy. Julie, Holly, and send me a message.
0: All right. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. There we go. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks. Thanks. Especially to you two for coming on the show today. I had an awesome time and look forward to talking to both of you sometime in the future.
1: Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you both right. of you for being such amazing people and yeah. uh, mentors and leaders in this niche.
0: Yeah. thanks, Julie. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast, or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.